Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Well, good morning. Welcome to another edition of Better Living. It's a show about people and organizations that make an impact around Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm your host this week, Sybil Summers from 98.7 K-Love. Thanks for joining us. Our first guest is Katia Gonzalez. She's the Director of Community Engagement for the Alliance for Children in Fort Worth. Since 1992, Alliance for Children has served over 58,000 children. Alliance for Children is a nonprofit organization that operates child-friendly centers in Arlington, Fort Worth, Hearst, and Lakeside. Their mission is to protect Tarrant County children from child abuse through team investigations, healing services, and community education. Katya, thanks so much for joining us. Yes, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me on your show. So let's tell people what Alliance for Children is. Well, Alliance for Children is a children's advocacy center covering all of Tarrant County. Um, And our job and our mission is to serve child abuse victims in the community. And we do that in a variety of ways. We're actually the only nonprofit organization that's directly involved in the investigations of child abuse. Uh, And that's just to make it an easier process for families. So we work as a multidisciplinary team with uh, community partners like law enforcement or child protective services. Um, to really promote healing um, and to serve justice for those families. Doing good work for the community. Thank you. Alliance for Children has been around for nearly 30 years. How did all of it begin? Well, Alliance for Children has been, like you said, has been around since 1992. um, And we are part of a greater uh, umbrella of children's advocacy centers. But initially, how children's advocacy centers nationwide came to be was there was an attorney that was getting a child ready for trial after um, an abusive incident happened to her. And he realized after the case was done and justice was served, he realized for that child and family, it was actually a really traumatizing process to have to work with CPS and work with law enforcement and then work with all of these different prosecutors and investigators that were there for the safety and the well-being of the child. But actually, that process was a little traumatizing when all these teams were working in silos and weren't working together as a multidisciplinary team. So that's really how Children's Advocacy Centers came to be as we realized that all of these groups are needed for the justice and the safety um, and the healing of that child, but we needed to work together um, a little bit more than we were years and years ago. So, Katya, how did you get involved? Um, even in middle school, I always wanted to work for Child Protective Services. And don't ask me why. Um, it's just something that I've always wanted to do. Um, so I actually started out working with Child Protective Services, but at Alliance for Children as part of that multidisciplinary team. And then from there, I just naturally transitioned to um, being on the staff of Alliance for Children and to just really engage the community uh, because it is a topic that I knew a lot about, but I just felt like as a community, it's a topic that we don't typically talk about, and it's important for all of us as adults to to take action. Right. And although it's incredibly heartbreaking, I'm sure there's also some reward to it, you know, where you feel accomplished after you've actually helped out a child or a family. Oh, absolutely. I think all of us would probably not be able to survive without having those success stories. And just seeing those kids come in that first day where they might be a little scared or this was just very fresh for them. They haven't really processed that trauma. Um, And just watching them come in week by week and just seeing the the differences 
we have a little graduation party for children that are graduating from counseling Aww. and they get to put a handprint on the tree uh, or a thumbprint on a tree that really signifies for future children that they're not the only ones that are going through this there's been many children that have been through that process makes a big difference and it's part of the reason why we do what we do absolutely we're talking to katia gonzalez from alliance for children and as we all go through this pandemic together has it affected your organization in any way it certainly has impacted the safety of children in general because we know that for a lot of kids being at home is a really great time to connect and bond with their families Uh, but for a lot of kids as well it's really not a safe place to be so as soon as we knew that some children would lose kind of those safety adults with their teachers or their child care professionals or other people that they previously had access to um, we knew that that would cause some safety concerns and we also know that just isolation and stress of a pandemic uh, which is mm-hmm. pretty unprecedented um, and just lack of resources that families are facing it can impact the risk factors that might lead to abuse as well And we certainly saw that come out um, through this pandemic. Yeah, so a lot of the listeners I'm sure have heard about, and I have as well, all the reports that domestic violence is on the rise because people are trapped together in their homes. Are you finding that to be accurate? We certainly did. So we saw... um, Case, like very severe cases, so with um, extreme violence, I know Cook Children's Hospital had several fatalities that were due to abuse, so that was more than we would typically expect to see in that month period. Uh, but what we also saw is a dramatic decrease in just overall reporting. So we saw just more severe cases, but less reports, essentially. Um, and that doesn't mean that children aren't being abused. It just means that they've lost access to those protective caregivers that would be able to to make a report. Typically, teachers are our number one reporters of child abuse. Mm-hmm. So once they lost contact with that, uh, we saw a decrease in numbers. What are some of the signs people should look for? Well, certainly, if we're noticing any kind of concerning injuries on children or anything observable um, as far as a lack of care for kids, and if you've been around children or if you've um, had access to kids in any way, we kind of know kind of some of the normal injuries children might have, like on their shins or on their elbows and their knees if they're running around and playing. I still get those, by the way, as an adult. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I certainly do. And as adults, I feel like uh, they last longer. uh, You still have no idea where they came from. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but kids, like my, uh, for example, my nieces are constantly covered in like little marks and bruises on their on their knees and such, and all of those are normal. So if you're noticing something that's outside of that normal childhood play, we need to make sure that at the very least we're asking some questions and are paying more attention. And if we have concerns for the safety of that child, we need to make sure we're reporting that to Child Protective Services. But outside some of those more observable actions, like if we can tell that a child is not being properly cared for and we can physically observe that or if we're noticing injuries that we can physically observe that's uh, pretty black and white for us to see that abuse is occurring but what we oftentimes see is there might be children that are becoming withdrawn or are showing some of the more behavioral issues like Mm -hmm. so if you're noticing drastic behavioral changes in a child if you're noticing interactions between a child and an adult that just kind of give you an icky feeling or give you a red flag of some sort I think it's easy for us to say, like, well, that's none of my business, or I'm sure that kid is fine. I don't have to worry about that. I think just in this time in particular, we really need kind of some um, those adults, that any adult that has access to kids or has some way to check in on children to be the eyes and ears for kids and to make sure that we're taking that personal responsibility to intervene in that situation. That's a great point. So, you know, neighbors and even healthcare workers, if you're taking your kids in just for their regular checkup or a dentist appointment or anything like that, mm-hmm. anyone can report. Yes, and that's so important. Um, and I think a lot of times it's, it sounds like a scary thing to have to make a report. And it's not saying that you're accusing somebody of abusing a child. And we're not saying that the, if you make a report, that child will go to foster care. I think that is something that we see on TV shows like right. SVU and such. But that's really not what happens. When you're making a report, you're just asking for a professional to come in and just assess the situation and make sure that that child is safe. So how would someone, even a Joe Schmo like me, go about reporting if they do think a child is being abused? Well, first thing to 
notice is that um, any Joshua like you um, <laughs> or any adult in Tarrant County or any adult in the state of Texas, uh, you're a mandated reporter. So it's really a law for us to make sure that we report on any suspicions of child abuse. And like I mentioned earlier, it sounds like a scary process, but it's the procedure of that is fairly simple. So there's that 1-800 number that you can call. Um, it's one 800 252-5400. And what you do is you just call that number and then somebody will answer the phone and they'll just lead you through that process. So they'll ask you what that child told you, if that child made a disclosure to you, or they'll ask you any any concerns that you've observed or what your suspicions are. So they'll just ask you questions and you answer with what you know. They'll also ask you a lot of demographic information, like if you know that child's name or phone number or address for the family or their date of birth, things like that. And certainly if you have access to that information, that's helpful, but um, you don't have to know all of the information in order to make a report. So if you just have a suspicion and all you have is maybe that child's first name or maybe a driver's license or something like that, or you just know where that child lives, go ahead and make a report with the information that you have. Every little tip can help. Absolutely. And that's 800-252-5400. I think the big question, Katia, is can you be anonymous? You can be anonymous, absolutely. So if you're, we um, recommend that you provide your contact information in case somebody needs to reach out to you and ask additional questions. But if you don't want to do that or don't feel comfortable doing that, you can certainly make an anonymous report. But regardless, if you decide to provide your information, it's kept confidential. So nobody will say, hey, so-and-so made a report about you. <laughs> um, they will just say there was a report made um, and we need to come investigate. Um, so your information is confidential regardless. But if you just don't want to provide your information and would rather not make a report than have to do that, you can always call and say, hey, I would like to remain anonymous. Right. Well, for a lot of people, I think if it's a family member, you know, they're Mm -hmm. uncomfortable, like you mentioned, making that phone call, but they also don't want the abuser to know they're the ones who reported it. Yes, you're absolutely right. And there's um, a lot of fear for family retaliation in some cases. So those are certainly important things to consider. And there's definitely protections for the reporter to make sure that their information is protected. This is Better Living. We're talking to Katia Gonzalez from the Alliance for Children. I recently watched a documentary called Rewind. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's about this exact topic. I actually am familiar with that, and I have not had a chance to watch it. But yes, I have heard about that, and we actually um, have encouraged people to watch that. And I've had the opportunity to be part of a, a conference where the gentleman that made this documentary He was in the process of making it at that time, so I saw some of the clips of um, his experiences. So, yeah, well, you know what it's about, but for our listeners who haven't seen it or heard of Rewind, it's about three predators who were sexually abusing the filmmaker as a child, and he would never tell, but his family and his teachers, like you said, had started noticing all these behavioral changes, and it eventually came to light, so he had to testify. His abusers were prosecuted, and his case enacted a new policy that the child would only have to tell their story one time instead of to a responding officer and a detective and a doctor and a therapist. So now it's recorded, and then every Everybody who needs to see the video gets the chance to watch it so the child's not reliving that trauma every time. Is that similar to what you guys do? Yes, and that's really kind of the heart of um, our services is we want to make sure that we're not adding more trauma to a child that's having to go through a child abuse investigation. So we actually, Alliance for Children, um, staffs what we call forensic interviewers, and they are experts in their field. And so they have the expertise in order to interview children and get the true story of what happened. Uh, so to that same point, rather than children having to be interviewed by a CPS investigator, and a detective and maybe a prosecutor and whoever needs to talk to them. They're interviewed by a trained professional and it is recorded so that can be minimize any trauma that the child might experience by having to tell their, their account over and over again. Does Alliance for Children handle all types of abuse? We've talked about domestic violence, sexual abuse. What about bullying or neglect and malnourishment and things like that? 
Sure. Alliance for Children um, deals with a very specific criteria. So the easiest way to explain that is we work any kind of cases that involve a criminal component with a crime against a child. So that would include sexual abuse. That could include any kind of witnessing to domestic violence or witnessing to very um, to homicides and things like that. Um, severe physical abuse. Uh, so again, anything that might involve a criminal component uh, that's a crime against a child. We're talking to Katya Gonzalez. She's the Director of Community Engagement for Alliance for Children. Since we can't do big gatherings right now, and I'm sure you guys normally do fundraisers, how are you handling that? Are you taking donations or doing something virtual? Absolutely. Well, we can certainly accept donations at any point, uh, but really, and I feel like a lot of nonprofits in the community are facing the same thing to where we are anticipating an increase in the need for services once children return to school. Uh, like as we mentioned earlier, our reports of abuse have been down during the shelter and home, uh, but that doesn't mean that abuse hasn't been occurring. So our anticipation is that once children return to school and or, or even virtual school and they start developing those rapport and relationships with their teachers and uh, some maybe school counselors that we're going to get an influx of reports eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are anticipating the need to cover that, to cover for those lack of resources that families might be facing uh, and then potentially arise in a number of cases that we, we typically see. At the same time, we're also facing a lack of the typical donations that we would receive or the, even the grants that we would typically receive. Uh, so as uh, a lot of our fundraising events, we haven't been able to do like we would uh, prefer to do in person. So we've gone virtual. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just important for us, like even in a virtual format where it might not be as fun to attend an event um, over Zoom, but it's really important for um, for our ability to continue providing that high level of service all at no cost to families. Yes, definitely. Speaking of that, I saw something on your Instagram about a virtual family trivia night. Yes, and that should be fun. So that actually, uh, we have an Alliance for Children has what we call a Pinball Society. Uh, so it's a group of young professionals that support Alliance for Children and our mission. So they are actually hosting this virtual family trivia night on August 30th, and it should be such a fun time. I'm, I'm hoping to be able to join on that. But you can get a pizza dinner, popcorn, and five rounds of trivia all uh, in the comfort of your own home, and then you get to a chance to win prizes and just really participate in a really fun event, a kid-friendly event, so the whole family can join and then really provide some support to some children that will really need us to step up as a community to support them. I love that. I might have to play on August 30th. Uh, I hope that you do, <laughs> and I hope we'll get to meet on Zoom. If you do, I'm going to try to join that. I would love that. This is Katia Gonzalez from Alliance for Children. So in addition to donations, most nonprofits also are looking for volunteers. I imagine in your case, obviously, they have to be incredibly vetted. Is there an opening for volunteers or is that an entirely different process? Sure. Well, we all we are always taking volunteers, and like you said, we do vet our volunteers. So there's a, an application process and an orientation process to join because we want to make sure it's a great experience for volunteers, uh, but also a, a good, great experience to the people that they're going to be serving as well. As you can imagine, right now the way that we're able to utilize volunteers is a little limited because a lot of our opportunities tend to be in person. Um, But this is certainly a great time to get started on that process, to get your application in and get background checks completed and attendant orientation. We are still doing uh, that. And then you'll be all set to go for um, future volunteer opportunities in person. And we certainly have a lot of uh, different programs that are very volunteer heavy and volunteer led. Do people get to choose which area they volunteer in? Uh, yes, for the most part. I think um, our, we have a volunteer coordinator that's very passionate about her volunteers, but she's also very good about creating unique opportunities as well. So if it's not part of our kind of um, standard volunteer opportunities that we have, that if you have a certain level of expertise or a certain skill level or a certain interest, 
if it fits one of our needs or if it's something that we think we're like, man, that would be a great idea to implement. I think we can certainly work with that. But we also have we have volunteer opportunities that are very client or family facing. Uh, but we realize that not everybody. I think a lot of people have a passion for serving children. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just hurts your heart to have to be face-to-face with a child abuse victim uh, that, that is uh, maybe going through a hard time. So some of our volunteers, they love that kind of face-to-face contact and that one-on-one interactions with um, some of our kiddos. And we have a program with partnership with Cook Children's Hospital where we have volunteers that visit children. It's essentially a rotation where they visit children and that most of the time have been removed from their families um, and are having an extended stay at the hospital and families can't come um, and be with them. Uh, So these volunteers just really provide that connection and provide that um, support for these kiddos while they're having an extended stay at the hospital. So that way they know that there's adults in their lives that really care about them and provide that level of care. And so there's lots of volunteers that that love doing that, but a lot of people are not don't have the capacity to do that. So then there's volunteering to where you can do lobby support at one of our centers or help at one of our events. Uh, There's just really a number of opportunities. So I feel like it meets most people's interests. Right. This is Katia Gonzalez from Alliance for Children. On the volunteering note, how do people apply? Yeah, so if you go to our website at allianceforchildren.org and go to Get Involved, uh, you will actually see um, all of our volunteer opportunities and then contact information for our volunteer coordinator. So really the first step is contacting our volunteer coordinator. Her name is Jamie Harton. If you'd like the email address, um, just over our call today, it's volunteer at allianceforchildren.org. Um, and then she will send you all of the information as far as the process to, to become a volunteer. Let's go ahead and give out that website one more time and then all your social media handles. Sounds great. Uh, Well, if you would like to check us out on Instagram, you can visit Alliance for Children underscore Terrence. We're also active on Twitter, which is Alliance for Children underscore Terrence. And then if you um, prefer Facebook, um, you can find us at Alliance for Children Terrence. Got it. Is there anything else? Absolutely. Is there anything else you want to mention or make sure that we get the word out about? Certainly. Well, I would just encourage all adults. I know child abuse tends to be not a topic we want to think about or discuss. It's not a very fun topic to talk about, but I really encourage everybody to take action. If you visit our website, we have lots of prevention resources, and we really encourage all adults to be trained in ways that you can just know the basics of ways that we can take action to make sure that kids are safe and protected, our own kids, and just learning the responsibility with other children. Uh, we have we have also created a prevention resources toolkit, which is also on our website, that has videos about how you can have conversations with with your own children about personal body safety, about internet safety. Uh, so just a variety of resources to really get adults to take action to make sure that your own children or children in your circle of influence are safe and protected. Because it's really not the responsibility of kids. It's the responsibility of adults to make sure that we create that safe environment for them. Right. But you did bring up a great point that I hadn't thought about. If a kid sees one of his classmates or one of his friends who he maybe thinks is having some issues or notices changes, he should tell his parents about that. And then the parents, of course, can call that report line. What was the phone number? It's 1-800-252-5400. And that way it can get the process rolling where at least someone can go investigate and see if there is anything going on and get to the bottom of it and provide all the help that that child might possibly need. Yes, and that's a very good point. And a lot of times children don't feel comfortable telling adults that they're unsafe, but they will talk to their friends. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that is a good way to have a conversation with your child to say if your friend tells you anything that's unsafe or anybody's hurting them, if they tell you to keep a secret and or if they're afraid that an adult might find out, it's still important because we want to make sure that your friend is safe and protected. Excellent advice. Well, Katia Gonzalez, the Director of Community Engagement for Alliance for Children, thank you so much for joining us on Better Living. Well, thank you for having me. It was a great conversation. Yeah, it was. And we appreciate what you do. Keep up the great work. All right. Thank you. Our next guest is Natalie Buxton. She's the Director of Marketing and Communications at Operation Kindness. Hey, Natalie, good morning. 
Hi, thanks so much for having us on today. I'm really glad to talk to you. I know Operation Kindness is a no-kill animal shelter, which is rare, and you've been around since 1976. So thank you guys so much for what you do. Oh, well, thank you so much. It's our pleasure to have been serving the community this long. And, you know, no-kill is rare, but it's coming less rare by the day, and we're really excited about that. I got to admit, I've been on your Instagram page for probably 45 minutes when I'm supposed to be working. And I'm I'm just looking at all the cute little animals and I'm playing along with all the games and I'm obsessed. It's easy to get sucked in. I definitely understand that. We have a lot of uh, great content to feature with so many cute puppies and kittens. It's uh, It's not a hard job sometimes. Right. So let's talk about the elephant or I'll say the Great Dane in the room. <laughs> We're going through some never-before-seen times. How does that affect a rescue group or an animal shelter? Yeah, well, like everybody, the pandemic has brought a lot of new challenges for Operation Kindness. Um, We did initially close back in March for a couple of weeks, um, but then we figured out a new way forward and made a lot of changes to our process so that we could continue to operate through this. So we're not open um, to the public in the traditional way that we have been before, but we've been doing tele-adoptions since April. So that's kind of allowed us to pivot and continue to get animals adopted, but it certainly looks a lot different than it used to. So tell me and other people listening who aren't familiar with it, what is a tele-adoption? Yeah, we launched tele-adoptions back in April, and they have been a huge success. How it works is really adopters can browse our website to see all of the animals that are currently available in real time. As they get adopted, they immediately come off, and as new animals become available, they're added. So they've got cute profiles with descriptions and photos and videos. Um, And if you find an animal that you're interested in, you just fill out a questionnaire on the website, and then you schedule a tele-adoption appointment um, for whenever is convenient for you. One of our adoption counselors, they'll call you and work with you one-on-one to find that right pet to fit your lifestyle, to fit your family, and they'll be able to give you a lot of insight into each animal's personality um, and show you some more videos, things like that. Uh, If you decide that it's a good fit, you'll do a curbside pickup of your new pet from our animal hospital at the shelter in Carrollton, and it's basically as contactless as possible, as, as virtual as possible, so it keeps everybody healthy and safe, but it also allows us to continue to do adoptions right now. A lot like driving a car, though, like test driving before you buy it. Some people want to meet the pets and bond with them, see which one they kind of fit with. Are you able to do that over, you know, the video conference chats and things like that? So we don't have a meet and greet component incorporated yet. That's something we're exploring, how we might be able to do that while um, keeping everybody safe. But we can uh, show videos of the animal. Um, All of the animals are in foster care right now, so they're not actually in the shelter. So we have a lot more insight into their true personality. Um, It's been a really great side benefit of all of this is that Animals are in a home environment, which is much less stressful than a shelter, and they're getting spoiled by a foster family (laughs) who is just obsessed with them. And so that allows us to kind of learn more about their unique personality, what they're like in a home. Um, Maybe they're potty trained, which is something that we don't normally um, know in the shelter. And that ultimately allows us to find them that better possible um, new family. So you just mentioned how the foster families fall in love with them. That probably leads to a lot of foster failures, I would imagine, (laughs) which is a good thing. Yeah, foster fails are great. They have been nicknamed that in the animal welfare world, but really everybody loves it when a foster parent decides to adopt their foster animal. Um, We have definitely seen more of those over the last few months uh, as people have, you know, we have more pets in foster than ever before. And then families are spending so much time at home. So they're really bonding with their foster pet. And it definitely gets harder to bring them back and let them get adopted into a new family. But It's all part of the process, so, you know, whether they decide to keep them or they decide to bring them back, which can be very bittersweet, it's really 
crucial to us being able to save lives when we have those families that they're willing to open up their home over and over again to new temporary pets, then that means that we can just, you know, continue to save so many more animals. We're talking to Natalie Buxton. She's the Director of Marketing and Communications for Operation Kindness. And Operation Kindness doesn't just do adoption and fostering. You guys help sometimes with medical needs or help with training and uh, behavioral issues. Can you talk a little about that? Yeah, we... At Operation Kindness, we really want to be a resource um, in a lot of different ways. Whether you um, are looking to adopt a new pet, we can certainly help you with that. But if you already have pets, we also want to be a resource to help people keep those pets in their current home and help them be successful there. One of the top reasons that owners usually need to rehome their pet is because they might be having some behavioral challenges with them, like separation anxiety or destructive behaviors in the home, and they don't really know what to do. And so we have a lot of resources and articles on our website where pet owners can read advice about how to improve those behaviors. You can also call us or email us and we will connect you with other behavioral resources or our behavior manager, Karen, and she can give you some one-on-one advice to kind of work through those challenges. A lot of times these things are solvable. Mm -hmm. And so our goal with this program is really to keep as many pets in their their current home as possible so that that means fewer animals need to be rehomed through a shelter. And hopefully we can just, you know, figure out a way for them to be more successful in their current home. So since Operation Kindness has been around since 1976, like nearly 45 years, yes, you've established a lot of relationships and partnerships in the community. Tell us a little about that. Collaboration is really key at Operation Kindness. Um, It takes a village to help all of the homeless animals in North Texas. We're a big region. We have a lot of animals, and we have a lot of homeless animals. So we're really proud of our partnerships with organizations like Dallas Animal Services, Mm -hmm. and we partner with 40 other rescue partners from across the Metroplex and and across the the broader region as well as far as Waco. Um, We all have the same goal, even though we're different organizations, which is we want to save more lives and find families for these dogs and cats. And so we're really better when we can work together to reach that goal. One of the things that you also do, and I think this is just such a wonderful idea, right now, much like food pantries for humans, there are food pantries for dogs. You guys actually have one. And it's not just food. It's kitty litter and necessities and other things like that. How does that work? Yeah, I think our pet food pantry is one of our best kept secrets and we don't want it to be. Um, (laughs) It's located in Addison and this is again part of that. We really want to be a resource to the community and the pet food pantry is is critical to that. Um, We do provide uh, dog and cat food, dry food, canned food, um, litter and uh, treats. I think, you know, If you ask the pets, they would tell you the treats are more important than the food. (laughs) Of course. We we try to provide all the different types of things that uh, families might need. And so sometimes we also have other supplies, too. Like if we have a surplus of, you know, toys or something that can't be utilized at the shelter, then that gets distributed out through the pet food pantry in Addison. So um, it's meant to be a temporary support for low-income families who are in need. Since the pandemic started, as you can imagine, there's been a lot of demand for this, um, and we definitely want to get the word out that this resource is out there for people if you need it. Um, But we've distributed nearly 40,000 pounds of food to individuals and to other rescue groups um, since March. So we have a lot we want to give, and we want to provide that as a resource to the community. So if you're in need of that, there's information on our website about how to you know, apply and and get started, but it's really easy and you can just make an appointment. And again, it's a contactless experience where you can just do a pickup of, you know, you tell us what you need and we'll get it bagged up and together for you and your pet. And then you can, you know, get some of those additional supplies that might be hard to get right now. I love it. And that website is operationkindness.org. Talking to Natalie Buxton from Operation Kindness. North Texas Giving Day just around the corner, and that's a huge deal for you guys. I want to say it's on September 17th. That's right. Yeah, so how can people help? North Texas Giving Day is it's such a crucial day for us. It is our single largest fundraising day of the year for the animals. Um, so it's, it's about providing that financial support that it's so 
critical is always needed, but it is especially needed right now. Um, the summers are typically a uh, historically low time for donations, um, and that's true this year as well. And then the pandemic, of course, is just another complication in that. But um, North Texas Giving Day, it, it is on September 17th, but early giving begins as early as September 1st. Um, and this is just, it's a really important day for us to come together as a community, um, show what we can really do to help support the animals. It's a, it's a lot of fun for us because we really get to connect with donors and we spend all day on the phone calling them and thanking them for their support. And we get to hear stories about their animals and why they choose to, to give to an organization like Operation Kindness. So North Texas is giving day is awesome and we're really looking forward to it and hoping to hit our goal of raising $215,000 for the animals this year. Incredible. So people, we need to help. One of my favorite things is seeing pictures of the dogs and cats who are in their forever homes and they're finally settled in. Maybe they're hanging out with the other pets or with the kiddos. It just makes me, it warms my heart so much. That's the best part about it. You know, we, we love them while we have them, but ultimately we want them to get into that home. And so when we get those updates, there's just really nothing better. So true. So we talked about North Texas Giving Day, which started September 1st. People can already participate in that. What other fundraisers are you doing? Because I know right now everything's pretty much virtual. Yeah, we um, we did have an event scheduled in April that we had to cancel, obviously, for the, the pandemic. And um, we do have our fall gala that is in November. It's Canines, Cats, and Cabernet. And that event is typically held, um, you know, in a fancy hotel. And everybody gets together, and we bring dogs and cats and little black ties and curls. And it's a fun event. Uh, you know, opportunity for about, you know, 500 people to get together. But um, we have switched that to a virtual event this year. So that will be another opportunity um, in November that people can support. And we'll have more information about that soon, about how you can get tickets and, and tune into that virtually. And again, that'll probably be on operationkindness.org. Absolutely. I've always wondered this because I'm fascinated when I, as I mentioned earlier, scroll through and look at all the available pets. Who comes up with some of these names? Because, <laughs> I mean, some are obvious, but then some are just outrageous or hilarious. Like, how do you guys figure those out? Uh, it's really a group effort, and it kind of depends. You know, if it's an animal that came in um, that had to be rehomed from its family, then they'll keep their name. Mm -hmm. You know, it, we'll definitely always honor that. Um, but that's also a perk of being a foster. We we let the foster families name their, um, if they have a litter of puppies or kittens, or, you know, if they come in and they, they aren't named and need a fresh name, that's one of the benefits. And so sometimes there will be themes, you know, there, I remember a litter that was all breakfast foods, so it was waffle <laughs> and pancakes. So uh, I think that's another way for the kids to get involved in fostering as well. They usually have strong opinions about what the name should be, but um, we're always trying to brainstorm with, you know, seeing about 5,000 animals a year, it gets kind of hard to come up with names sometimes. So we have uh -huh. to be uh, creative for sure. <laughs> I love it. I'm always a fan of food names. I think it's so cute. Waffles is great. <laughs> <laughs> and I had a friend who had a cat with green eyes, so his name was Pickles. That's awesome. I don't know why. I just get so dorky about those cutesy little names for pets. You just mentioned litters of puppies and kittens. Let's talk about the importance of spaying and neutering your pets, because I don't think that gets driven home enough with people. Absolutely. That's one of another, uh, you know, main reason that we see animals needing to be rehomed is that they're the result of a, an accidental litter that, you know, wasn't anticipated and so then they, the family can't keep a, a litter of puppies or kittens or you know that animal gets pregnant and they're very very vulnerable animals and shelters mm -hmm. um you know they're so young and they can't be vaccinated and so they're really at a lot of risk for illness um and certainly if they're orphans then they have to be bottle fed around the clock so they're very vulnerable populations to be in animal shelters and so how we're really going to get a handle on pet overpopulation and homelessness is absolutely spay and neuter. And so that's why every pet you adopt from Operation Kindness will have already been spayed or neutered. But um, it's something that we definitely advocate in the community. Yes, it's so important. And also when you adopt with Operation Kindness, they have their shots. And yes, yes up to date on all the vaccinations and all that good stuff. 
and they're microchipped as well. So if they ever get, you know, separated from you for any reason, you can you can get them back. But we do have an on-site animal hospital, so we provide, you know, a full suite of medical care to the animals, whether they come in and maybe they just need vaccinations and then they're ready to go, or if they need something more involved, maybe they're recovering from, you know, uh, an amputation or ringworm disease, heartworm disease, anything like that. We provide all the care for that in our on-site hospital, and we take care of all of that prior to adoption. That's fantastic work. Uh, again, talking to Natalie Buxton from Operation Kindness. Just on a personal note, what kind of pets do you have? I have, I think it's the perfect mix, right? I have one of each. I have a dog, Pippa, that I adopted from Operation Kindness, of course. She's a little Cocker Spaniel mix. Aww. And I have uh, a cat named Oliver who I found as a stray uh, about 10 years ago. So oh, wow. they have a, a great friendship. They get along perfectly. And so it works out great for us just to have one of each. I imagine Oliver's the one who's in charge though, right? Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know how cats end up always getting the upper hand over dogs. He was here first, so he has, you know, claims and dibs. He's got seniority. <laughs> okay, I gotcha. <laughs> well, um, I want to give out all of the ways people can get in touch with you guys. So operationkindness.org. And then can you give us all your social media handles? Absolutely. So Operation Kindness on Instagram is just at Operation Kindness and same for uh, Facebook and then Twitter is OP Kindness. So if you search Operation Kindness, you'll be able to get connected to us and you can be guaranteed lots of really great uh, photos and videos. Yeah, I've I always make the joke that I have more pictures on my phone of just random dogs. I don't even know whose dogs they are. I'll just see <laughs> a cute dog when I'm at the park and I'll take a picture. I mean, of course, I ask first because you always have to ask. <laughs> That's another good rule of thumb for people. You always have to ask before you pet a stranger's dog. But, yep, sure. But uh, I, I just have all these pictures, and I'll go through my phone when I'm looking for something that I need, and I'm like, where did I meet that dog? I don't know, but he's wearing sunglasses, so I'm keeping it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a dog and sunglasses can't be passed up. Exactly. So Natalie Buxton, Operation Kindness, anything else you want to add before we part ways? The only other thing I would encourage people to do is if you are in a position to help an animal by becoming a foster, I highly encourage you to consider that. Um, there's a lot of information on our website about how to do that. We are specifically in need of fosters who can take in adult cats or uh, be a foster for medical animals. And so we provide everything for our fosters, all the supplies, food, medical care, everything. You just give them a safe place to stay for a few weeks. Um, so if you're interested in that, that's another need that we have right now. The website, again, is operationkindness.org. Talking to Natalie Buxton, thank you so much for taking time out of your day and for what you guys do for the animals in North Texas. It's our pleasure. We love it. While we're talking pets, August is Clear the Shelters Month in DFW. We want to help out with that. So now we'll bring on Tony Hiller, the superintendent of Fort Worth Animal Shelter. Hey, Tony, we're excited to talk to you this morning. Yeah, me too. This weekend is a big deal. Uh, actually, this whole month because Clear the Shelters is going on. Correct. I've been promoting it on air and on my social media, but people who aren't familiar with this, let's tell them what it is. Okay, so Clear the Shelters is quite simply that. We are trying to clear uh, shelters across the country, even though we know that it started as a kind of a regional event, uh, but now it's uh, across the entire country. Uh, and we're trying to clear the shelter, and by shelter we mean the animal shelters, and we want to find good, loving, wonderful homes for all of our animals at, at uh, animal shelters across the country. And uh, one of the ways we do that, and it's our goal every day in the animal welfare business, but one of the ways we do that is through the big event through NBC and NBC Universal and Telemundo and everything that's called Clear the Shelter. And we try to clear the shelter. In other words, any animal that can legally be adopted, we try to adopt that day. This year, it's not just one day, though. It's actually been extended for almost a month. Well, and you know, it started a couple of days ago, actually. So, yeah. Yes. So this year presents a lot of unique challenges. I mean, uh, number one, uh, we have COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, and number two, 
uh, we have COVID. And, well, <laughs> and obviously number three on our challenges is, uh, oh, yeah, hey, we have COVID. Right. So uh, one of the big challenges is, is that usually Clear the Shelter is a big festival-like atmosphere. We have vendors. We have snow cones. Uh, we have various people out giving away, you know, free stuff. You know, those types of things are always uh, a great time to pick up all the pins that you're going to need for the next year because uh, everybody gives away their pins with their logo on them. Of course. Uh, but the challenge this year is is we're trying to maintain social distancing because, obviously, if you adopt a brand-new dog, we don't want you to get sick because of it. And mm-hmm. plus, your dog really doesn't want you to get sick because <laughs> dogs don't like it when you get sick. No, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> and so... To do that, clear the shelters a whole month long this year, you know, obviously with a special uh, focus uh, during the week later on this month. But it is a whole month this year, and so the reason for that is to allow people to come out, um, come to our shelter. And our shelter, like most shelters, uh, is requiring that you wear a face mask. And then we also take uh, people's temperature before coming into the shelter because we want to make sure everybody stays safe. Mm-hmm. And obviously all our staff is going to be in a face mask as well. And obviously when they showed up at work, we took their temperature as well. So we're trying to mitigate some of the hazards that are associated with our three major problems this year, which all are COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to help people by having it all month long. And that way you can come at your leisure instead of having a thousand or more people show up at, you know, nine o'clock or 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock, like happens during the single day event. We're hoping to stretch those people out through the whole month so that everybody can come and get a a brand new family member and uh, do it in a, a safe way to where perhaps they won't get infected. I'm all for it, let me tell you. We're talking to Tony Hiller. He's the superintendent for the Fort Worth Animal Shelter. Taking on a pet is a huge responsibility, and I don't think people necessarily take that into consideration or realize it sometimes. How, like, what advice can you give to lessen the surrenders, the people who actually adopt a pet from the shelter, but then bring the pet back and say, oh, we can't deal with this, or for whatever reason, we can't keep the animal? Well, uh, I mean, everybody should look at their life, look at what's going on in their life, and then make the best choices for themselves and pick the uh, best pet that's for them. And uh, we do not call them necessarily a surrender. A surrender is actually when somebody's had a pet for a long time, they haven't uh, come necessarily from us, but like all municipal shelters, uh, we have to take our citizens, the citizens of Fort Worth pets in, if they don't want them anymore. What you're talking about is they come in and adopt as a pet, and it's an adoption return. Number one, we don't consider that a failure. Mm -hmm. We consider that to be a success because they came and got us an animal, uh, got an animal from us. It didn't work out, but they thought that our environment here was a good enough place and and a happy enough place, and they're comfortable enough with us to bring the dog back. And so we kind of consider an adoption return a success. People tried it, and most people, when they return an animal, they go and try to find another animal that's a better fit for their family. So if they're coming to look for an animal, I'm going to tell them to look for something that's going to fit your lifestyle. If you sit around and uh, play video games on the Xbox or the PlayStation all day or your PC, mm-hmm. I can't exclude the PC gamers. I've <laughs> got to include them, too. <laughs> then you may want an older, more sedentary dog yes. that is just perfectly happy sitting with you uh, while you're playing Call, Call of Duty. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you're an active runner and you've got time and uh, you like to spend time outdoors, then obviously a younger dog is probably going to be best fit for you because, you know, dogs like to run, you like to run, hey, run with your dog. <laughs> right. So um, those types of things are kind of fit. So when we have people here, uh, our, our workers are going to when you're coming in and you have a question about the dog, uh, they're the actual caretakers of that animal, and so they're going to do the best they can to uh, answer any question you have about the dog. But the only caveat to that is is that as of right now, we haven't figured out how to understand what the dogs are saying when they talk to us. <laughs> so, so if we have 
no information on the dog, we're going to make our best assumption based upon the behavior of the animal here. And uh, most of our dogs are going to go outside and play every day in play groups. We take them outside because, you know, who wants to be stuck in the same cubicle all day at work mm-hmm. and not to get to go outside? Well, the dog's cubicle is, you know, his uh, kennel, mm-hmm. and nobody wants to be stuck in their kennel all day. So, you know, a number of years ago here, we did a great and wonderful thing to where we added all of these play yards to our facility just so that the dogs can get some outdoor time, just so that it helps with the mental health of the dog. Um, because nobody wants to be stuck inside all day. Now, um, admittedly, the the funniest thing about that is is that dogs are dogs, okay? So you take them outside in uh, the morning in August, and they go outside for about five minutes, and then they stand at the gate waiting for you to come back (laughs) again because – they're like, okay, we've been outside now. Uh, can we go back to the air conditioning place? Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> they are Texas dogs. Exactly. So they're, they're like, uh, you know, can we come back inside? We like the air conditioning. But we do take them outside. We do let them go play. and We let them have a good time. That actually brings up a great program that you offer at Fort Worth Animal Shelter, which is the Out and About program. What is uh, it? Yes, the Rent-A-Dog for the Day program. Yes, that's yes. what I call it, too. Rent-A-Dog. <laughs> we, we actually prefer the Out and About. Uh-huh. And what that is is that if for whatever reason in your life, uh, you can't have a dog full-time, but you love dogs. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, kind of like the library, you can come and check one out for the day <laughs> and take them to lunch with you, Aww. go take them for walks, take them to a, uh, out for a run, and uh, what the urge is, take them home and play with them for a while and then uh, bring them back at the end of the day. And, and that's a great thing because it gives the dog a break from the shelter uh, because, you know, the shelter's, Shelters can be quite stressful on dogs, and mm-hmm. some dogs are stressed out by the shelter. Others seem to do uh, much better in, in, in the confines. But And this will give a, a dog a, a mental health break. He'll get to go hang out or she'll get to go hang out with somebody and uh, spend the day with them, uh, maybe end up on a patio for a margarita or something like that, <laughs> and uh, possibly, possibly uh, have a big break. And uh, have a good time. And uh, so it's a great program. And we have lots of people that that, that do it. And once we get our new shelter, uh, we're building a new shelter that should be open hopefully by October of next year. Mm-hmm. It's actually going to have or it's proposed to have a pond right next to it and a walking track, um, well, at least a sidewalk and a path. We'll call it a walking track. Let's call it that. Okay. So if you want to do and uh, take a dog out and go walking around, you're going to get to walk around a park-like setting and a uh, pond right at the new shelter. So you mentioned the new shelter that's coming up, uh, and we're talking about Clear the Shelters, which is going on right now, through the end of August. Uh, So three locations currently in Fort Worth. What uh, are you can do clear the shelters at all three? Is that right? Yes. Uh, one, the, there's one minor wrinkle on that is is that our um, typically what we would do we would take extra animals and pop up crates to our PetSmart locations. Uh, this year we're just going to have our normal dogs at the and cats at the PetSmart locations. We can't forget the cats. That's right. And, and um, instead of having extra animals, we're just going to have our normal inventory there. Uh, obviously, because of social distancing and such, we don't we don't want people in close proximity next to pop up crates and those sorts of things. So we'll just have them in their regular kennels that we normally have them there every single day. But we will have three locations, and then obviously uh, a year from now or so, we'll actually have four locations. So those are listed at fortworthtexas.gov slash animals. We're talking to Tony Hiller, and we're talking about Clear the Shelters, which um, is a huge event that helps all the pups and kitties in the local community find new homes. How can people help, though, if they can't actually adopt an animal and keep them? How else are there other ways that they can help out? Well, I mean, there's lots of ways. I mean, Fort Worth is kind of this 
big, innovative melting pot of ideas. And so and we're willing to try just about anything that we can do to uh, help our animals, including uh, a few years ago, we did a public-private partnership where we rent out, uh, some private donors went out and raised lots of money, over a million dollars, to build a wing onto our shelter that is dedicated just to treat sick shelter animals. And Mm. so it's essentially our own vet clinic. Um, So people, obviously, if they can't do that, they can contribute. The city does a mailer in the city's uh, water bill on how to make a donation to the shelter. We can always use those donations, and we always do use those donations to uh, benefit the animals. Matter of fact, some of our outside areas were actually built with donations. Mm-hmm. So that's good as well. And then we have a large volunteer program. So if you have time uh, on a weekend or on a weekday and you want to come and volunteer, then you can actually sign up on the same website, the fortworthtexas.gov forward animals, and click volunteer and sign up and come and volunteer at the shelter. Volunteer activities could be as simple as just giving a dog a bath that he needs or just taking him and walking him around for a while. So you don't have to have uh, dog washing skills. You can still come out (laughs) and help us. (laughs) I love it. And another way I would imagine is fostering. Foster is kind of a subcategory of volunteering. Yeah. And so they're volunteers as well for the shelter. It's just that they're volunteering to take one of our animals to uh, their home and keep the animal there and help with, you know, socialization and housebreaking and all that kind of stuff. And then when COVID first start, uh, started, we did a big plea for fosters, and we had several hundred animals out in foster, um, about twice our normal amount uh, during the first part of it. And that really helped us here because when COVID first hit, we had uh, obviously – Lots of staff out, um, primarily because, you know, schools closed and people have children and they had to homeschool. Yeah. And so it really helped us here because we have fewer animals. You know, typically we're going to have about this time of year about 600 animals in our care at any given time. And having a couple of hundred of those out in foster uh, really helps us. I can imagine. So just on a personal note, talking to Tony Hiller, superintendent for Fort Worth Animal Shelter. How many or what types of pets do you have? This is your brag moment. Uh, well, <laughs> let's see. Right now, currently, I think I'm just down to three dogs and two cats. Down to. I love it. <laughs> down to. Well, I, uh, I was married to a lady that taught high school biology for a number of years. So we've had our snakes. We've had our rats. We've oh had our gosh. fish. We've had our turtles and everything. So two of my dogs and one of my cats are actually from the shelter. And the other dog is a rescue from a rescue group. And the other cat was found by some kids after a storm at the high school my wife was teaching at. And where do you bring lost animals to? You bring them to the biology teacher. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So that's what we got. Well, since you can't show me pictures over the phone, you've got to now tell me what kind of dogs and cats and what are their names. The the dog that's a rescue Mm -hmm. is actually a full-size AKC registered standard poodle. Oh, wow. And, and, and so it's a big poodle, same size as a Labrador, and she's apricot, which is kind of the light tan peach color. Yeah. The other dog, uh, the medium dog, we'll go in order of size. <laughs> the, the medium dog is a, um Italian greyhound Jack Russell. Interesting. So, across, and so she is just as cute as she can be. But just this bundle of energy and excitement at all times. Uh-huh. And then the last one is a Cairn Terrier Chihuahua mix. So she's a little bitty short, uh, incredibly furry dog uh-huh. that, we, that looks like a, a small werewolf or something. And we call her a Terrawawa <laughs> because she's a Terrier and a Chihuahua mix. I love it. And then the cat, the, the oldest cat, the one that was uh, found, at the school is a Maine Coon cross, and so she's a 
large, because Maine Coons are pretty much it in the Norwegian forest cat are the largest breeds. And so she's a, a large, docile, sweet cat that's covered entirely in fur. Yeah. And then the last one is an orange tabby. And he I made the mistake of coming to work one day to make sure that a contract was signed. And my wife was waiting for me outside, and this lady brought this little tiny thing in her hand that uh, my wife at first thought was a hamster and then realized it was a little orange kitten. Mm. And so she decided to foster the kitten, and she walked in and uh, told my staff, hey, when you all see Tony, tell him that we've got another cat. <laughs> and so we, the last cat is what's termed as a foster fail. And a foster fail is when you're fostering an animal and you decide to keep it. Yes. And so that's our foster fail is named Simon. And so he's a little chatty orange tabby. He's, I guess he's about two years old now who uh, runs around the house and talks to you all day. So he's, a, he's an incredibly chatty cat. They sound adorable, and I love what you guys do, so please keep up the great work. It's a tough business. It's hard, particularly if you love animals. You can have some very hard days. But even on the hardest of days, all you have to do is just go walk back to the kennels and go play with a dog or go play with one of the cats, and all of a sudden your day is better. Exactly. Animals can do that for you. Yes, they can. So it's Clear the Shelters going on through August 29th, and if you want to go to any of the Fort Worth locations, fortworthtexas.gov slash animals. You can also find out more on their Facebook page, which is at Fort Worth ACC. Tony Hiller, thank you so much for taking time out of your day, and you've been a blast to talk to. Oh, well, you know, I try to be. And, and by the way, this isn't just my radio personality. This is just kind of me. So. <laughs> it's perfect. Don't change a thing. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. And it was a pleasure talking to you. And thanks for supporting us. And uh, here's to hoping that Clear the Shelters a great success. Indeed. Thank you so much, Tony. All right. Take care. I'm Sybil Summers from 98.7 K-Love. Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to tune in next week as we focus on other organizations doing great things in our community right here on Better Living. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.